Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Girls These Days. I'm Lindsay, and I will be your only host for today. Um, We are excusing Brenna as she is, you know, juggling her baby around and doing postpartum mom things. So you're stuck with me this week and probably next week too. Should we get into it? (laughs) I'm so excited and a little bit nervous because I'm just like talking into the void and without Brenna here to like laugh at the things that I say and like validate my existence. Um, I don't really know how I'm going to feel, but I'm just going to envision all of you giggling and laughing um, because I'm the funny, funny little girl that I am. Before we get into today's topic, um, I wanted to share with you some things that I've been obsessed with this week or just lately. So the first one is divorced dad rock. And I I know what you might be thinking, Lindsay, your parents aren't divorced. No, they're not. However, my parents and my mom especially has the taste of divorced dads in the early 2000s. So there's actually like a whole playlist of this on Spotify. You know, we've got Linkin Park in there, Foo Fighters, um, the All-American Rejects, the Killers, of course, some Paramore. And then we've got some of just like the one-off songs like Paralyzer, Lips of an Angel, uh, Ocean Avenue. Gosh, these songs are all so good. So this is what's been fueling me at the gym lately. Because if there's one thing about me, it's that I was raised on Radio Disney and Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory album. So I think that just says everything it needs to say. So I've been feeling very nostalgic listening to some of this like hardcore rock music. It just takes me right back to, you know, those days as a kid sitting in the back of my dad's pickup truck and screaming the lyrics to One Step Closer. Cause I'm one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. You know, can you just picture my little blonde, happy, smiley four-year-old self just screaming out the lyrics to Linkin Park? Anyway, the next thing I want to talk about, I don't even think I can say I'm obsessed with it. More like it has me in an absolute chokehold. This is white vinegar, okay? So think about my big fat Greek wedding and their relationship to Windex. That's me with white vinegar right now. There is nothing I'm not spraying some white vinegar on to clean it, to deodorize it, to make it shiny and new. Because when I discovered this, it changed my life. I make up a little like all-purpose cleaner. I just take a spray bottle. It's one part water one part white vinegar. That's what I use to clean like pretty much every surface in my house now. And the best part about it is it's so cheap and it's non-toxic. And I'm not claiming to be one of those people who like only uses non-toxic products because I definitely don't. But if there's something that I could cut out of my routine that's toxic and replace it with something non-toxic and cheaper, That is just a win, 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 win. You know what I mean? Also, you can use as fabric softener. So that's what I've been doing too. And let me tell you, these clothes smell so fresh when they come out. And it's not even like the scent of like fabric softener. It's just like they just smell like clean fabric. Does that make sense? It's like it just strips the odors out. So I just pour white vinegar directly in my little fabric softener slot. 
and call it a day. And my sweet husband, when he works out and gets very sweaty and those clothes go straight into the hamper, they marinate in there. They smell like a wet dog, okay? After like several days being stuffed in the bottom of the hamper. The white vinegar just does a perfect job, deodorizes it. And what was the other thing I use it for? Oh, I used it to mop my floors the other day, which no, I don't do that frequently, but I just poured in water and then like a cup of vinegar and it worked great. Anyway, you can buy giant jugs of it at like any grocery store. They also have it at Costco. It's been a game changer for me. Oh, it does smell a little bit like when you first spray it, obviously. It'll smell like vinegar, but then once it dries, it doesn't smell like anything. I feel like that freaks a lot of people out to use vinegar because the smell of vinegar is so strong and distinct. But you don't have to worry about that because it dries and then the smell is gone. Also, if you go shopping for a cleaner that's non-toxic, like a mixed cleaning solution, they're so expensive. You know, you can buy a Lysol... (laughs) Lysol. You can buy a Lysol spray for like $3.99, but then to have that equivalent of like something that is marketed as clean and green and non-toxic and organic ingredients or whatever, it's going to be like $9.99 for the same size like bottle of spray. White vinegar, the giant thing costs like three bucks and it lasts me so long. Okay. Oh wait, one more thing I thought about. It like gets poop off of the walls. Like sometimes there's cat poop flung on my walls. I'm I'm saying it out loud. I'm realizing that's probably not a common shared experience, but sometimes they like flings on the walls from the litter box, just like a little bit. And you just spray the water and vinegar, let it set for like five minutes and then it wipes right off. Okay. I'm stepping off of my white vinegar soapbox now and have shared that with you all officially. The last thing on my list of things that I've been obsessed with. This might be controversial. I've been loving doing things halfway. There's that saying that's like anything worth doing is worth doing well. And people always say like, don't do, I don't, we don't do things halfway in this house. I do things halfway in this house. You want to know why? Because otherwise the crippling weight of all the tasks will crush me and then nothing will get done. So for example, I needed to clean my master bathroom and my cats love to play in the tub and the countertops were like, you know, needed a wipe down, the toilet needed to be cleaned, whatever. And so what happens is in my brain, I go, okay, I need to do all these things. Now let's pick the order because I probably should start with this. So then I can move on to X, Y, Z, whatever. And then in the midst of all that planning and agonizing over the tasks, I get so overwhelmed and then I just sit down and don't do any of it. So you know what I did? I said, it's okay. I'm just going to do this halfway. I wiped down the counters and then I didn't do anything else. I didn't clean the tub. I didn't clean the toilet. And I was like, you know what? This part is still cleaner than it would have been had I done nothing at all. So let's normalize doing things halfway because something being done halfway is better than it being done 0% of the way, in my opinion. I'm trying to think of another example. I think mostly I'm applying this in my head to like cleaning tasks and organizing tasks like, you know, decluttering one nightstand, but not the other. It's like, well, at least you've got one clean nightstand. That's more clean nightstands than you started with. You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, enough about me. Let's get into today's topic, which is Taylor Swift. Uh, T-Swizzle. Brenna used to be a Taylor Swift hater. 
as she's grown in her adult age, she's been able to realize objectively that Taylor Swift is incredibly talented and how warranted her popularity is. She's personally still not a huge fan, but she does respect her now. I also, I, mm, I swear if I could get her to listen to like the whole albums and not just like the radio singles that she's heard against her will, I think I could convert her, but that's a problem for another day. I had you guys like submit some questions and there's just some other things I want to discuss about her. To start off, I talked about this a few weeks back on I think episode two. Obviously, we're all obsessed with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Who isn't? Okay. But we just recently had her person of the year time article come out and it was so good. And the way that she talks about Travis in there, they're just so sweet to each other. And he had an article maybe a week prior to this, a week or two, I think it was with the Wall Street Journal, where again, he just talks about her with the utmost respect and like admiration. And it just crumbles my heart. It crumbles my heart. We also just had the pictures surface of the two of them at like this holiday bar. She's kissing him on the cheek. And then we have like a full on kissing picture and he just is holding onto her so tight and he is never going to let her go. (laughs) Okay, so that brings me to my first question. Somebody asked, what are your top five songs right now? And is she going to marry Travis Kelsey? So let's address the Travis Kelsey part of that question first. Is she going to marry him? When I first thought about this question, I kind of thought, no. Not in the sense that they're not going to be together forever, but I could kind of see her not wanting to get married Um, after all like her stuff with Joe and just kind of their relationship being a little bit more unconventional and more private. And I kind of thought, well, maybe she doesn't, you know, want to get married. Maybe she just wants to have a life partner. Um, And then on top of all her kind of like feminism and in Lavender Haze when she's like, The only kind of girl they see is a one night or a wife, you know, it's like, I don't want to put her in that box, okay, of like assuming that she wants to be somebody's wife. However, the way that her relationship is progressing with Travis and just how fun and fancy free they appear to be together, I feel like (laughs) I'm just laughing at the way that I'm totally speculating and I have no actual knowledge of what their relationship is truly like. But based on, you know, the scraps and crumbs that we are fed and devouring from the media, based on that info, I I just, I could see her not caring about what anybody thinks of her, not caring that, oh, maybe she should set a precedent and not get married to, you know, prove a point or whatever. I could see her just being like, I am head over heels in love with this man and... Like, of course I want to marry him. I want, like, I could see it, like, taking her back to being a little girl and dreaming of her wedding. And she's like, no, I just want to do it all out. I want to do everything. So I feel like my answer is yes. I do think they're going to get married. I do. I do. And even if they don't, like, get legally married or have a wedding, I feel like they are endgame. I can't explore a reality in which they're not. I refuse to. Okay, I'm going to do the top five songs in a second. First, I'm going to answer this one. It says, what is your all-time favorite Taylor Swift song and why? Um, it's obviously hard to pick an all-time favorite considering the extensive nature of her discography. But 
I would have to say overall, when you take into account the actual music, the lyrics, the level of cutting deep into the soul, right now, I would say my favorite Taylor Swift song is Would Have, Could Have, Should Have off of Midnight's. Like literally from the first time I heard this song, it was as if she just like reached into my mind, heart and soul and ripped out these like raw feelings and experiences and then threw it into this song. It like no song has ever cut this deep into my soul and I physically can never skip it. There are so many good elements of this song. Like it just it just hits too deeply because you have kind of the religious like undertones of the lyrics, you know, like I would have gone along with the righteous. All I used to do was pray. So it's like that that hits home to me, like growing up in a high demand religion. And oh, you guys, I don't I I feel like I can't fully explain to you what this song means to me without having you just peer into my brain and watch all my memories and feel all of the feelings but just the feeling of regret and like also this element of now kind of knowing better and wishing that you would have known better at the time it just hits so close to home at 19 at 19 I'm I'm almost out of lack for words okay and then the bridge makes me want to drive off a bridge. Okay, let's see. If clarity's in death, then why won't this die? Years of tearing down our banners, you and I, living for the thrill of hitting you where it hurts. Give me back my girlhood. It was mine first. I don't know if there's another line that hits as hard as give me back my girlhood. It was mine first. Mm. And then... I've also heard the opinion that uh, would have, could have, should have kind of gives the vibe of being like Dear John's older sister, where Dear John is like kind of in the moment, that pain that you feel when you're 19 and you've been like hurt. And then would have, could have, should have is kind of like looking back on it. Kind of how I said, it's like, you know better now. You live with this regret and you see the ways that it affected you. And you wonder, like, what your life would have looked like if you had just gone along with the righteous, if you never danced with the devil, you know what I mean? Okay, now stepping off of my would've, could've, should've soapbox. <laughs> um, my top five songs, obviously would've, could've, should've is in that list. This is really hard to narrow down. It's really, really hard. The next one I would choose is You're On Your Own, Kid, which... It, it brings tears to my eyes every single time. It's like that progression of her through her life and also having this song in the year of like the Barbie movie where I feel like as women and girls, we are re-embracing our womanhood and our girlhood and realizing things about ourselves and you are truly on your own, kid. Like we are the only people that we can truly always know that we count on and we can do it, you know, make the friendship bracelets, take the moment and taste it, like just enjoy this life and all the good and bad things that it brings. Oh, it's just so good. I need to stop getting into it because I'm going to cry. Okay, next, uh, Ivy. I don't know what it is about this song, but it just itches a scratch in my brain that I can't describe. 
Like the melody and the song itself is so beautiful. The flow of it is just buttery. I feel like I am also now a little biased towards this song because I saw a TikTok that was like, Ivy is so Marianne and Connell coded from normal people. And it's so true. It's so true. If you've ever watched or read normal people, well, if you haven't, I don't recommend it because it will simply ruin you. If you have, then you get it. Okay. Ivy is very much Marianne and Connell's song. It's just a beautiful song. I just love it. My pain fits in the palm of your freezing hand. Okay, next, uh, obviously, all too all 10 minute version, Taylor's version from The Vault. I don't know that there's really much that needs to be said here. It's a lyrical masterpiece. It's a musical masterpiece. It is some of the best work that she's done. She really, she fed us with that 10 minute version. Honorable mention I'm giving to two songs, uh, Nothing New. Nothing New is that song that is like, wow, this really is how the world sees and treats women. And it's heartbreaking. I wake up in the middle of the night and it's like I can feel time moving. How can a person know everything at 18 but nothing at 22? It breaks my heart. Okay, next honorable mention goes to The Other Side of the Door. This one might be controversial. This is one of my favorites. I, I have never and will never skip The Other Side of the Door. That outro, that could nourish me for weeks on end. Just the outro. It's so good. It's so classic, fearless era, country Taylor Swift. I love the message. You know, I said leave, but all I really want is you to stand outside my window and throw pebbles and scream, I'm in love with you. It's the bare minimum, guys. So those are my top fives, I think, right now. Oh, wait. Oh, I, I left one out. Okay, my other... <laughs> I did four and then did my honorable mentions. My other one in my top five is Getaway Car. <laughs> How could I forget that? Okay. Oh, Getaway Car is just a bop. It really is. Don't pretend it's such a mystery. Think about the place where you first met me. We were riding in a getaway car. Oh, it just, it hits. Moving on now. Oh, someone submitted and just said, love you and loving the podcast. And that is so sweet of you to say, I love you too. And thank you for listening because it makes me very happy. This person asked, can we discuss the you're losing me timeline discourse? We can briefly because I will admit I'm not the biggest expert on it. And it all kind of gets fuzzy in my brain. But from what I took notes on from TikTok, you're losing me came out May of this year. That's when she put it on the album. So it was only available on like the hard copy of a CD at a certain tour show. I forget. I think it was in New York, maybe. And everyone thought that it was kind of to like confirm that she and Joe were split up because it was Easter weekend that kind of the rumors started swirling that Taylor and Joe Alwyn had broken up. So going back further, her lover came out in 2019. She and Joe had gotten together before that in kind of her post-reputation or her pre-reputation exile where she thought she was canceled. The world kind of turned against her. It was after all the Kanye and Kim drama. So she kind of just fell off the grid and was like, fine, you don't want to see me? I won't be seen. And they were kind of living, you know, in this like secret exile private world. She releases Lover in 2019, which is, 
you know, all these songs about Joe. And then before she can go on her lover tour, the pandemic hits in 2020. So they're kind of back in this pandemic exile quarantine lockdown stage together. So she writes Folklore and Evermore. And Joe supposedly helps write some of the songs on these albums, including Exile, which is like pretty much a song about two people who it's like they the relationship ended because they just like he was not listening to her. So it's like, okay, buddy, is the call coming from inside the house? Anyway, so she wins album of the year and she thanks Joe in her speech. And Jack Antonoff is kind of like, okay, that's all in 2020. At the end of 2021, Joe Alwyn was filming a movie in Panama, I think it was, with Jack Antonoff's wife. Taylor is kind of traveling back and forth while preparing to release Red Taylor's version. This is like right before You're Losing Me was supposedly written because Jack Antonoff posted on his story that it was written December 5th of 2021, which was right after the Red re-release, and then she posted the video of her on the set of the music video for I Bet You Think About Me in, like, that big poofy wedding dress singing Champagne Problems. Okay. She would have made such a lovely bride. What a shame. You know, you know how it goes. And then Midnight's doesn't come out until almost a year later in October of 2022. And then their breakup doesn't surface until spring of 2023. So there's a lot of speculation around this. I mean, I think regardless of the situation, I think that they were probably broken up for longer than we realized. And it just wasn't public. There's also a lot of speculation that she maybe wrote, you're losing me. And they were kind of off and broken up. And then they kind of reconciled before the big public breakup. I mean, it's anyone's best guess. Honestly, it's all speculation. But some people think, well, maybe when Jack Antonoff's wife was filming, filming with Joe in Panama, it's like, did she see some things, hear some things, observe some things that, you know, she reported back to Jack, who reported back to Taylor? Who knows? Was there some funny business going on? I don't know. I also think that she and Travis have probably been together a little bit longer than we think because the show he went to in Kansas City was like over the summer. I believe it was June. I should have taken better notes on this, but I believe it was June. And then they're like pretty quickly after that, hard launching, public dates, all of that stuff, which it's like, that is great. Even if that's the timeline, do your thing. But a lot of people speculate that his talking about the friendship bracelet on his podcast was kind of like a soft launch slash putting out feelers to kind of see what the public response would be like. And it was obviously earth shattering. So yeah, I feel like if there's one thing we can all for sure agree on, it's that Midnight's is a breakup album. It really is. And I remember when it first came out and I was listening to the songs and I was like, huh, okay, yeah, this, uh, this is a good song. And she kind of had her whole spiel about these songs are made up from midnights over the course of my life. Like she kind of made it seem like it was a collection of songs from different eras. At least that's what I gathered. But in reality, I think, I think it's a breakup album. Also, I can't listen to Lavender Haze without thinking that she somehow wrote that about Travis. 
Do you know what I mean? Unrelated, but yeah. So that's kind of a timeline discussion of You're Losing Me. It was very shocking to find out that it had been written like a year before Midnight's came out when she and Joe were supposedly still together, when everyone thought they were still together. And it's a very crushing song. I'm so glad she put it on Spotify finally because it deserves to have its glory. Okay, next. What era are you? I am a fearless girly. I'm a fearless girly through and through. And I think that that's because I was 11 when fearless came out, I think. So I was like right around like middle school age, you know, entering puberty and really like having crushes on boys and all this stuff. I feel like the fearless album is kind of the embodiment of like wistful teenage hopeless romantics. And I feel like that really like shaped my brain. Because I'm very much a hopeless romantic and I love love stories and I just would, I would lay in my bed and listen to the album on repeat on my iPod Nano and I would just dream about the days when I was older and I would get to date boys and kiss boys and have my first kiss and it would be flawless, really something fearless, you know? It's just so sweet. I like I feel like it was everything that I looked forward to as a preteen for my teenage years. I feel like looking back, I think that's a part of me that I haven't lost, which I'm glad about because I think it's fun to be a hopeless romantic and I think it's fun to squeal and swoon over the love interests in movies and shows and be cheering for them and their happiness. So there you go. Okay, this person shared a story. They said, Growing up, my entire room was Taylor Swift theme. Every Christmas, I would get a Taylor Swift calendar. And in eighth grade, my parents surprised me with tickets to her show at Madison Square Garden in New York. She was playing two nights in a row there, and we had tickets to the second show. Long story short, the second night, my family took me to the venue. I got a t-shirt and got in line for my ticket to be scanned. Once I got to the front, they scanned my ticket, and the color on the scanner was turned red. They looked at us and said these tickets were for last night's concert. Oh my god. My mom begged for them to let us in and said we flew all the way from Arizona, but they didn't care. I only wish Taylor had heard about that because I'm sure she would have let us in. Anyway, since then, I'm paranoid about checking the dates on things. My parents just made an honest mistake and mixed up the dates on the tickets in their heads. That is truly devastating. That is so sad because it's like there's nothing that the ticket people can do, you know? It's not like they can just free up a spot for you. But I agree. I think she would have let you in if she had known because that's how she rolls. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is so sad. This person asks, what are my least favorite songs of Taylor Swift's that are popular slash well-known? Um, me. Easy. I promise that you'll never find it. No, I can't even get through it. As soon as I hear that intro, skip. Immediate skip. I don't even know if I've listened to it all the way through. But I think that's a pretty like shared opinion is that the song's kind of bad. <laughs> Another one that I don't like really is Look What You Made Me Do. I'm sorry. This might be controversial. I feel like it plays very well on tour. Like at the Eras tour, I was vibing. But when I'm just like listening like to my music like normal, I'm probably going to skip it. And then... I don't really love Paris. I feel like this one's pretty popular, but I don't know if that's just because it became a really popular TikTok sound. It's great for a TikTok sound, don't get me wrong. But when I like actually listen to it as a song, I'm like, "Eh, 
this isn't my favorite. Oh, you know what? I have to be transparent with you guys and let you know that I did kind of fall off the Taylor Swift train for a period. And it honestly was before all the Kanye and Kim drama and everyone like calling her a snake and canceling her. I didn't even participate in that. But it was around when 1989 came out and we had just come off of her and Harry's like relationship breakup all that stuff. And it's like, if you know me, you know that Harry Styles is my man. And that was like the height of One Direction too. I feel like looking back, I almost felt like I had to choose between Harry and Taylor. And I was like, well, obviously I'm going to stick with Harry. Like that's my man. And I didn't really love the pop direction that Taylor's music was going with 1989. And then with reputation. I didn't really even listen to most of the songs on there. And so then when Lover came out, it kind of just like wasn't even on my radar. So I kind of fell off for a couple years there, but I would still always listen to her older stuff too. But then when she dropped Folklore, I was like, oh, I am back on this train with full force, full force. So once folklore came out. I was like, you know what? Let me go back and listen to these other albums. Cause I don't really feel like I gave them a fair shot. And there are some gems on those three, 1989 reputation and lover. There are some serious gems on there. Like you are in love. That was mine and Ryan's last dance at our wedding. And it was so sweet and perfect. Like I love that song. Delicate getaway car. It's like, I was missing out death by a thousand cuts. Cornelia Street, Cruel Summer, I was missing out for sure. So in the spirit of being transparent, I cannot claim that I was always for my whole life a diehard Swifty. I would argue I am an OG Swifty and I will never stray again from the path of the Swift. So yeah, that kind of explains why my least favorite songs of her are like her more pop ones that are just, they feel very geared towards being radio singles and I just feel like they're overplayed. Okay, next. This person asks, what songs stand out to you that related so well to things you've been through in different periods of your life? So we already talked about what have, could have, should have, obviously. So All Too Well, I, I can't even claim it for the 10 minute version because All Too Well, the original, it was the, it was the song on repeat for like a, a very good chunk of my young adult life. Um, I feel like it really encompassed the feeling of navigating a breakup or a heartbreak and feeling like you'll never move on. Like I remember it all mixed with a a slight hint of maybe I don't want to forget and just like that despair and depression and like feeling like you will never move on. The line where she says time won't fly. It's like I'm paralyzed by it. I'd like to be my old self again, but I'm still trying to find it. There was a period of my life where that described my exact situation. I was like, I just want to go back to the person I was before I went through this. Like, I don't want to feel this way. I feel like I can't move forward. I obviously can't move back. And did I even make the right choice? I feel like that song is just the perfect embodiment of like just so much uncertainty and longing almost for how things were. Even if you know that things could never go back to the way that they were. And then there's also a little bit of that element of like, I was too good for you. And I know that. But at the same time, I wish that we could go back. Even though 
now we know we deserve better. So that was a really big one. Um, and if you ask my college roommates, they probably can't listen to this song without having more flashbacks of hearing me scream, sing it in the shower on repeat every single day for an hour. Cause that's what I would do. I would get in the shower, I would lay down and I would just put this on repeat and cry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was sad, but we can laugh about it now. Okay. <laughs> um, the man, I was a little late on this. Okay. You know, because I was late to the lover train as I explained, but the man, I feel like this doesn't like describe perfectly, obviously my experience, but I remember listening to this in like probably 2020 in a time where I was having a lot of shifting opinions, listening to the lyrics and being like, huh, it really is that simple. I feel like I was really understanding feminism for the first time almost, which sounds embarrassing because I was old enough to have known, but it just wasn't an idea I was explicitly taught up until that point in my life. Maybe that's not fair to say, but I realized in that it just was like such a simple way to highlight the differences of treatment between men and women. And I know it's more specific. It's more kind of in the public eye, like between celebrities, the way that they're compared and stuff. But it's like the principle of it. I was like, wow, she's honestly so right. Yeah, I feel like it planted my first big feminism seed. Um, Next one, Enchanted. I don't know any... OG Swifties that this song didn't have like core memories attached to it for them. Personally, for me, it was going to church dances. They would always play this song for a slow dance, usually at the end of the night. And there would usually, not usually, but sometimes if we were lucky, there would be a cute guy there that you saw from across the gym and probably didn't talk to. He was probably tall for his age and a little bit cute. Boy, I was enchanted to meet you, sir. And then maybe if you're lucky, he comes and asks you to dance or you go ask him to dance. And again, that like romanticism, (sighs) like it was so magical this night and that like excitement, butterflies feeling you would get when, you know, he would take your hand to slow dance and you would hold his shoulder and you're like standing so close together Because that wasn't common for me, like, as a teenager, standing that close to a cute boy. And just, like, not knowing if I'll see them again for a while or what. This night is sparkling. Don't you let it go! I have so many core memories to that song at church dances specifically. But also when I would just lay in my bed and listen to it and dream about the, the day that I would be old enough to go on dates. And then I could actually have an enchanted night with a boy. And he would fall in love with me and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the archer is also one. I hate to say it because the archer is so sad. But this has been one that has been very much, it's been very close to home for me recently. Basically since Ryan and I have gotten married, I feel like I have changed more in that time than like the whole rest of my life combined. I just have gone through like if what feels like transformation after transformation after transformation and changing so much. And he is so supportive. It's not like I'm like, we're growing apart. It's just one of those things that happens when you're an adult and you're coming into your own and 
realizing things about the world that you've never thought about before and realizing that it's like, this is my life that I really have to take charge of now. And you might have to step on some toes. Not everybody's going to like you or what you think or what you say. And that's okay. And you have to be authentic to what you feel inside. So yeah, this song has kind of caught me at my low points when I'm like, I feel like I have this unbreakable confidence sometimes while simultaneously feeling like less worthy than ever before. You know, like who could ever leave me, darling, but who could stay? They see right through me. Like I just, it's, I don't think of it as much as like a song, you know, about a relationship. I think it can be applied in a lot of different ways. For me, it's more not a song about a relationship, but just kind of like me against the world a little bit and wanting to be loved and kept, but at the same time needing to be true to myself and worrying that being true to myself is going to make everybody run. Does that make sense? Yeah. Help me hold on to you. Who could ever leave me, darling? But who could stay? Anyway, maybe that's a reach. Okay, and then the last one I put on here. Oh, actually, no, there's two more. I put Death by a Thousand Cuts on here. And that one kind of ties in with All Too Well, I think. And just kind of like feeling stuck. Saying goodbye is so painful. How am I supposed to do this even though you took everything from me? I quite literally gave you too much, but it wasn't enough. So it's like knowing that this relationship would never work out but it being too painful to shut the door completely. What do we do? Like just that stuck feeling. Okay. And then fearless. Fearless is fearless is everything to me. This song I cherish so close to my heart. When I talk about being a fearless girly, this song just obviously really encompasses it. It's the album's namesake and it is just, it's magical. It's rom-com. It's teenage hope and love and excitement and butterflies. Oh, I love this song. So obviously when I was like a preteen teenager, but I would listen to this song when I had a crush on a boy and just like daydream about, you know, being in love and more in my adult life. I feel like I, when I was dating and doing so kind of unsuccessfully to me, fearless was the blueprint. Like this song was like, this is what I want to fit my relationship into. This is what I want it to be just wholesome and excited and genuine love. And I feel like when I would be talking to guys or dating guys, I would be trying to plug them in to fearless and it just never quite fit. <laughs> and then when I met Ryan and I was dating Ryan, that is just kind of when it all clicked into place. I was like, he is my fearless boy. He is my, I don't know how it gets better than this boy. You know, I don't know why, but with you, I dance in a storm in my best dress, fearless. He just made me want to jump in head first and forget about everything else. We could not get enough of each other. We were so in love. Ryan is so pure and wholesome and kind like he really just has the best heart of anybody that I know so it's like it almost feel I don't know it sounds so <laughs> it sounds so cheesy but it's almost like I was just looking for him all this time and then I finally found the guy that really just embodied the simple pure exciting love that I feel like embodies the song fearless and then at our wedding after we were married and had our 
kiss, we walked back down to the aisle to Fearless. And it was so sweet. It just goes so hard. And I'm glad that we walked back to it. You guys, I have a special experience to share with you. So there are two submissions. I don't know if I should read the submissions or just like tell the story. Maybe I'll just tell the story. Okay. So when I was in high school, me and my friend Madison went to a Taylor Swift concert in Salt Lake City. Our moms took us and Madison's mom, Kelly, is also a huge Swifty. We, I think originally were sitting like in the upper... 200 section and then on the way to the concert kelly was like oh there's somebody selling two floor seats like do you guys want them and i was like yeah oh my gosh and so she and my mom sat up in our original seats and then me and madison sat on the floor and it was the red tour and this was my first concert ever so i didn't really know what to expect She also had Ed Sheeran open for her, which was iconic. He was the moment. Taylor Swift comes out and she's singing and performing. And it was an arena, I think. It wasn't obviously as big as a stadium. And she had an A stage and a B stage. So we were kind of towards the back of the floor, but we had a very good view of the B stage. At some point, she pops up onto the B stage and she's performing a few songs there. And it's very exciting. And then... I want to say it was when she was singing 22. She walks down the stairs to the B stage to like walk around the crowd. So we naturally just like everybody just gravitates towards the barricade and we are right there. And she is touching hands and singing. She's like inches away from us and we reach out and she touches our hands. Can you believe it? And then she works around the crowd, goes back up to the main stage and continues the concert. <laughs> I think Madison submitted this. Remember that one time we touched Taylor Swift's hand and her eyes were the bluest blue I've ever seen? Yes, I do remember. And they were the bluest blue. They were like sapphires just glittering in the light. She was so beautiful. Her lipstick was perfect. Her skin was perfect. I know she was probably heavily made up, but I was like, you are beautiful. It's funny because we drove back from Utah to Arizona the next day. So we're stopping at gas stations to go pee. And she and I were not washing the hand that she touched, (laughs) which is so gross. (laughs) We were washing our single hand after using the bathroom at the gas station and leaving the other one because we're like, she touched our hand like we can never wash it again. (laughs) Oh, it was so good. So that was my... That was my first ever concert experience. So you can imagine how that really set the bar very high for every one of my future concert experiences after that. Oh, it was so great. So I will have to dig through my iPod touch camera roll and find that video to post (laughs) when she walked down through the crowd because it's pretty iconic, very iconic. This kind of ties into the next question. They said, I have been able to see her three times in concert and her era's tour was my favorite. What was your favorite tour of hers that you went to? So I've only gone to the red tour and the era's tour. They're both incredible and memorable in different ways. Like the red tour, that's obviously like a core memory, like something I will never forget. It was heart stopping, but the era's tour. Oh my gosh. That is like a moment in history. Dare I say bigger than the Woodstock of our generation. 
It was so incredible. I would have given anything to be there. And I would give, honestly, a lot of things to be able to go again. She did so incredible. It was so good. Just the the build up to it and everyone having their outfits, their costumes, and it being the event of the century. I feel like that's hard to top. I'm excited to see what she does next because the only person that can top her is herself. So we'll see what comes next, but I think I would probably have to say the Eras Tour. It was just truly a moment in time. Unforgettable. There, there are almost no words to describe it. Um, okay, we're almost done. So this person said, Kiss, Mary Kill albums. Red, Lover, and Midnight. <laughs> oh, okay. I feel like this might make you guys mad, but I'm going to kiss Red. I'm going to marry Midnight's, and I'm going to kill Lover. And I don't feel as bad about it now that we don't love Joe Alwyn anymore. There are some really good songs on Lover, but it's like, I I physically can't do without the Red Album and the Midnight's Album. Oh, that reminds me. This probably isn't an original thought, but I haven't like heard anyone else talk about it. This is a very niche crossover between Taylor Swift lore and Akatar lore, but I feel like the situation is kind of similar to where Joe Alwyn is kind of Tamlin and Travis Kelsey is Resand. Do you know what I mean? It's like when we were reading the first book and we were like, Tamlin, yay. When she was with Joe Alwyn, we were like, woohoo, we love this for you. But then it ends and we're like, oh gosh, yeah, wait, why did we, why were we rooting for that? Because now we have Travis Kelsey, aka Reese, and it's giving daddy, it's giving us everything. Anyway, that's been floating around in my brain a lot. Taylor Swift is obviously Feyre in this situation, but. <laughs> okay, last one. What are the best or top three vault tracks? Top three is difficult for me. I kind of hate to say it, but I kind of think that 1989 has the best vault tracks so far. I'm really sorry. I don't want to say it because... It's so hard hearing that Harry Styles has flaws and has done bad things ever in his life or ever made a mistake. It's very hard for me. And I, in fact, still haven't really sat with that information and really let it resonate. I kind of choose to just gloss over it and pretend that it's about somebody else. But Slut is so good. It really is. I feel like I could pick a top three off of this album alone. Oh, You're Losing Me is a vault track. Okay, You're Losing Me, I think, has to be in the top three. That song is so raw and painful and good. Um, My personal favorites, let's see. Foolish One, I really like because of the message. The song itself musically is not at the top of my list. Does that make sense? So I feel like for that reason, I can't put it in my top three. It's really hard that all 2 l 10 minute version is a vault track because that obviously is in the top three. All 2 l 10 minute version, you're losing me. I really like you all over me from the fearless vault. And I also, oh wait, is nothing new a vault track? Oh my gosh, there's too many good ones. Okay. I also really love I Bet You Think About Me. I love that song. It's just such a a power babe slap in the face diss track, in my opinion. I think it's so good. Um, So yeah, I don't think I can really narrow it down from there. That's just kind of a mishmash. And 
Is It Over Now is so good too. So that's like five or six, I think. I kind of lost track, but that's just what you're going to get from me. She has some really good vault tracks. She also has a lot of vault tracks that I'm like, eh. I think the Eras movie is coming to streaming this week. I, if you haven't seen it in the theater already, you really should watch it. It is just a moment in time. So I didn't expect to be able to talk about Taylor Swift for so long. I thought it was just going to be a quick few answering questions, but it turns out I physically can't shut up. This is not new information. I just thought that I would be different today, but I'm not. I think next week is we'll do the nursing submissions. I'm very excited about that one. I haven't read any of the submissions because I want to like blind react to them on the podcast and not like know what they say beforehand. So I'm really excited to read them. And yeah, I could talk about Taylor Swift all day, it appears. So let's continue to do that on Instagram. You can follow us at Girls These Days Podcast. You can follow me and Brenna on our personal Instagrams. They're linked in the bio of our podcast Instagram. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave us a rating and review. You can subscribe and you can just keep listening and keep being sweet and cute because. You all do a great job at that. I think that's all I have to say. Well, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed this and I will catch you guys next week for another solo episode and you'll get new episodes from us every Thursday and we will have Brenna back before you even know it. So thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.